For the week of December 19th, 2021, this is Showbiz Sandbox, episode 566, the podcast that brings you all the dirt on the news making headlines around the entertainment world. In Los Angeles, I'm Jay Sperling Reich. Ho, ho, ho. Okay. In Birmingham, Alabama, I'm Michael Giltz. How are you doing, Michael? I'm doing all right. It's the week up to Christmas. We will not have an episode next week because you'll be traveling or busy with family. So we will see people in the new year on January 2nd. And today we're recording on a Sunday because you got more travel plans and stuff going on. We've got big box office news. We didn't want to skip two weeks in a row. So that's why we're recording early on Sunday. So if some major event happens on Monday, that's why we're not talking about it. Yeah, well, uh, what what could possibly happen on a Monday? Right. Meanwhile, my mom is in the other room watching a little romance on uh, Turner Classic Movies on demand. If you subscribe to TCM, you can watch this movie on demand. It's a delightful film. I forgot it opens up with a scene from Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, but it's dubbed into French because our hero, a young man, is watching it in France. He's a Parisian kid, and you're watching them talk to each other in French with dubbing. It's very cute. A delightful movie. And why is my mom watching? A little romance because we don't have ABC. We subscribe to YouTube TV and we're caught in the midst of one of those carriage fights. YouTube and Disney could not come to terms. ABC, ESPN, all these channels are yanked from my my cable provider is the best way to call it. I know it's not cable, but YouTube TV, they're in a carriage fight. They better get it done by Monday or Tuesday or I'm going to have to switch to another provider and be gone with YouTube TV, which is a total pain. But we're not going to go without, you know, ABC and Disney. So come to terms. Very annoying. Well, what's interesting is that, you know, part of the reason that these carriage fights uh, are, are newsworthy or uh, have kind of escalated to this point is because there's no competition amongst cable. You know, you may. Well, there's more competition. There's more competition now because I can switch to other, it, you exactly. know, over the air providers. So that's exactly what I. That's but exactly less what incentive. But no, but there's less incentive for them to have these fights. No. Well, okay. I didn't finish where I was headed with this is over the years that this is the reason that they've, they've kind of escalated. However, what you just pointed out, you said, well, if I don't get it by Monday, I'm going to switch. Well, for people who just had cable 10 years ago, that was not an option. Now, now you can switch. So I would be interested to see what happens over the next 10 years with these carriage fees and these carriage disputes, because frankly, if you can't get ABC on YouTube, then you're leaving. It, yeah, it will be YouTube's uh, incentive to get <laughs> to actually get, uh, you know, ABC back. Right. But that might make it less newsworthy because the fact that I might switch my carrier is a little pain in the neck, but I'm not trapped. It's not like I'm in a major market and yeah. I simply can't watch ABC the way it was in the old days. That to me would be bigger news. But we've got a lot of news to discuss, don't we? What are we going to cover this week on our holiday edition of Showbiz Sandbox? And boy, Nothing says happy holidays like rating and reviewing us on iTunes. That is true. As a matter of fact, uh, you know what? I wish I had uh, pulled up our, uh, our, I'm just looking now because I'm pretty sure I saw somebody had rated us and I don't know how to find it. I don't know how to find, how do you find stuff on iTunes? (laughs) Yeah. Well, I don't know, old man, but while you're trying to figure that out, why don't you tell us what we're going to talk about this week? I can't figure it out. <laughs> Get off my lawn. I did see. I did. I did see. Yeah. Well, in any case, uh, this week on Showbiz Sandbox, we've got a down and dirty episode covering this kid, Peter Parker. He kind of flew in to the box office this week. See what I did there? He flew in. Oh, he, yeah. oh I should have said he swung in. He swung by. He, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. You know what I'm saying. 
Yeah. yeah. Well, we'll have all the box office figures available to us on, on a Sunday because we, that's when we're recording, not a Monday. We've also got the latest on the villain Omicron, which Ooh. I say that because it must be a, a villain out of Transformers. Uh, in any <laughs> case, uh, this Omicron variant of COVID is messing with movies, box office and theater, both on Broadway and the West End. And of course, even Saturday Night Live, that made big headlines that they they sent their audience home last night. The L.A. film critics named their best movie of the year, and we predict it will have absolutely no impact on the Oscars at all. <laughs> hey, I mean, look, they went for art. What can you do on Inside Baseball? We've got let's see uh, nothing, nothing. We've got uh, literally it's blank. It's Sunday, and on the weekend, we just can't think about insidery stuff. Plus, we have more holiday shopping to do, and Michael is trying to perfect his eggnog recipe, and I've got to get this guy Rudolph off my off my roof. Uh, he keeps saying that he'll help me guide us. I don't know. It's a busy, busy time. Of course, during Big Deal or Big Whoop, we will discuss at least some of the week's top headlines. But first, as always, we're going to turn it over to you, Michael. Entertainment journalist extraordinaire, you're going to fill us in on last week's box office. Let me guess what film you're going to start with. Breaking news. We had a review in October, October 6th on iTunes uh, or whatever they call it now, their podcast uh, app. But Tom Dean Phillips weighed in and gave us four stars out of five. Thank you for that, Tom. And he was talking about Queen's Gambit and the pending IATSE strike. And he said, oh, by the way, FYI, Queen's Gambit, that smash hit series, was almost entirely filmed in Berlin. There was an exterior of one home, and that was filmed in Ontario. But basically, it was filmed in Berlin. So that was the most recent one I could see. Uh, I'm not sure how you can see all the reviews. Uh, I guess you go here. And yeah, so that, that recent review from Tom Dean Phillips, we really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Tom Dean, or Tom Dean Phillips, however we say it. But we are looking at box office from around the world, and there's only one story, and that's Spider-Man No Way Home. But before we get into that, we'll just cover the other stuff really quick to make sure they don't get lost in the shuffle. In China, a, a continent, a country where Spider-Man is not playing, it has no release date yet in China. For all the great stuff Spider-Man did, it did it without Japan and without China. Uh, they're at least a month away, if not longer, if ever, for China. But other movies happened. Sheep Without a Shepherd 2 is a Chinese thriller. It opened up this week in China to $55 million. Maybe they didn't want that movie to be competing with Spider-Man. Maybe they were worried it would get crushed. But Sheep Without a Shepherd 2 is a sequel. The first thriller made about $200 million, and this sequel is off to a good start. At number three around the world is Encanto, the Disney animated film. That made another $24 million. That's at $175 million worldwide. House of Gucci with Lady Gaga passed the $100 million mark. It made another $13 million. That's an adult film with legs. West Side Story is not. That made $12 million this week, but it dropped a hard 67% in a number of territories. It's only at $27 million and counting. I am waiting for the news that Downton Abbey is going to be pushed back from March. With Omicron out there and the fact that women and adults are more slow to return to the movies, uh, I just don't see them opening up a film that should gross $100 million in North America alone. Why would you open up if there's that much uncertainty around older people? Everybody turned out for Spider-Man. But if your movie depends on older people and women, I, you know, I think the smart thing is just to wait. Well, let me ask you this, because I would have gone to see West Side Story this week. However, because of when uh, the the uh, sun, uh, what am I trying to say here? Christmas falls on a Saturday. I'm losing a whole it, it, week's worth of work. 
Well, you should be freer to go see West Side Story. Right. But I guess my question is, it's the second weekend. Do you think people were too busy shopping? People would, People are busy shopping, but they also made time to go to the movies, didn't they? We had one of the biggest openings of all time. So, yes, the malls were very busy, but that's okay. Every day is a weekend around the holiday time. And if you've got the week off, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, we'll see if you go see West Side Story sometime this week. Then we can talk about it. I don't want to spoil the ending. Uh, right below West Side Story is Schemes and Antiques. This is a Chinese adventure film. Uh, it made another $10 million. It's at $62 million and counting. Ghostbusters Afterlife still has some life in it. That made $9 million. It's at $175 million and counting. I was going to go see Spidey and Ghostbusters in a double bill at my drive-in, but it rained on Saturday night. So I sucked it up and went to a late screening of Spidey, which wasn't too crowded. <laughs> the 1030 at IMAX was full. People were paying extra to see the movie in IMAX, even though it's not shot on IMAX. But the 1015, not so full. There were about 10 people in the theater, which was very rare. All the earlier screenings were completely sold out. But going back to the movies, The Matrix Resurrections has opened up in a few small territories. It made $9 million. I'm sure that's a good start in those countries. The reviews are mixed, but fans don't care about that. Then we have another movie that opened up, I think, in a new territory. It's called Lion Dance Boy. It made about $7 million over the last three days. It's at $102 million and counting. I could not figure out what this movie was. It's listed on the Comscore charts. I am assuming it is a film from another country like India that has opened up in China. I don't know. If you know, let us know. Tell us what the deal is with Lion Dance Boy. Yeah, you can write to us, dirt at showbizsandbox.com. That's D-I-R-T at showbizsandbox.com. You can also call and leave us a voicemail. The number to call is 888-567-SAND. That's 888-567-7263. We're also on Twitter where our handle is at showbizsandbox. In fact, if you followed us, you would have been one of the first to know about that that Bruce Springsteen news. Uh mm-hmm. That we're gonna we're gonna be talking about that a little later on, uh, and uh, of course we're on Facebook, Facebook.com/slash Showbiz Sandbox is where you can like our page. That's right. The Marvel film Eternals that hit four hundred million dollars this week. Venom, Let There Be Carnage, that's a smidge under five hundred million dollars. Dune made another three million dollars. It's struggling to get to four hundred million dollars. We're still gonna call that a win. That's tripling its budget, basically, at least its reported budget. And that last little bit of IMAX screening time before Spider-Man took over the world, that helped that movie. So it could claw its way to $400 million. And just around at the same amount of money, Nightmare Alley, the Guillermo del Toro film, uh, a remake of a movie most people have not heard of. It made $3 million this week. A very poor opening. I'm not sure what the reviews are. Maybe you know. I, I saw the film actually. Ah, talk to me. Uh, you know, it, even Guillermo del Toro's worst movie is better than most people's best movie. I uh, disagree entirely. I don't. But think come he's on, made a lot, he's made bad movies. No, I know. Yes, uh, I would say it's it's a movie that doesn't really work. It looks amazing. Every shot. You know is the original beautiful. film. I, I do not know the original film. It was, of course, based on a book. Uh, well, it do- it's based on, yeah, based on a movie, yeah. Yeah, a book, yeah. Uh, I think they went back to the original book, 
But uh, and of course, it, that that book was turned into a film in 1947 called Nightmare Alley. I believe Tyrone Power is the the star of that movie. Uh, it's a movie that's set in the 30s and 40s. Uh, yeah, yeah, as a circus set, a supernatural stuff. But you did not think it was a good film. No, it started out fine, and then it kind of fell apart. Yeah, no, I'm not. I, you know, ever since uh, Pan's Labyrinth, I've been disappointed with uh, Guillermo del Toro. I, I thought he was blossoming into a great director, and I've, frankly, I found most of his movies pretty bad. I did not like The Shape of Water. Uh, I've not liked his movies. One thing annoys me about this film, they've already announced they're going to release a black and white version. It's like, it doesn't work like that. If you're going to make a movie in black and white, you make lots of decisions about the costumes, the production design, the lighting, and everything to create a black and white look. Yes, you can do it digitally. You can do it online. You can tweak the movie and make it look black and white and even do it to a degree artistically. But it's not like an option. If you make a film in color, it's in color. And if you make it in black and white, you make a lot of major decisions at every level on the technical end. The makeup, everything is different if you want to make a black and white movie. So this idea that you can just spin out a black and white version, I don't get it. People who love movies and know them as well as these people, I don't understand how they could even think of, you know. It's well, it's just, a film noir, so that's I it. understand. So if you wanted yeah. to make it black and white, though, you have to make all those decisions at the beginning. You can't just make a color film and then say, well, let's tweak it here. And there. it's like, no, you would make an entire do with the lighting would be different. The costumes would be different because you would always be saying, how will this look in black and white? And you would not make the same choices if it's going to be in color. So you can't have one costume necessarily that's going to work just as effectively in color and black and white what kind of material is it you know it, it all matters so it just seems spurious to me that there was well we can make a just spin out a black and white version you're right it is based on a 1946 novel of the same name nightmare alley uh, and of course it is a remake of the original film there we go yeah i mean i i, I don't this film is beautiful to look at so i can't yeah. imagine why you would want to make it black and white well, black and white is beautiful to look at too, but exactly. They made a choice. They made a great looking movie and that's the choice that they should live with. The idea you can just switch back and forth is goofy to me. But the important thing is what does this say about adult films? Yes, you can make an adult film. It can appeal to people and have legs. Look at House of Gucci, but it's a lot harder to do when older people and older women are not eager to get out to the movies again. They clearly were not willing to take a risk and go out and see Nightmare Alley. They really want to feel like, okay, yes, I definitely want to go see this movie, and I'm going to do what I have to to see it. Maybe Spidey got lucky. Maybe it hit that sweet spot between one wave and the next. And whatever it grosses, we can firmly say it could have grossed more because it's not going to have an untrammeled next two months to go. But a few more movies left before they get to Spidey. The Battle of Lake Changjin, still moving along. That's at $905 million. The French Dispatch is at $41 million. Sing 2 is still moving along in small territories. I was wrong about Christmas with the Chosen, The Messengers. I thought this Fathom event uh, special would have a little bit more legs. It only made $1 million last week. Uh, I thought it would do more strong right up through Christmas, but $14 million is great. It's one of the best Fathom events of all time. And if you are reaching out to us, I could not figure out what happened to the movies Be Somebody, a Chinese period mystery. It could not have dropped from making $15 million last week to nothing. Uh, Le Touche 4, the French comedy, that seemed to disappear. And We Who Have Loved Before, 
That one probably did just drop off the charts. It made $4 million on its opening week. It didn't seem very good. So those movies are a little missing in action, but all the other movies we have are there, and it's Spider-Man. No Way Home is on top. These are the Sunday numbers. On Monday, they will probably rise again, which means it may become the second biggest domestic opening of all time rather than the third. But worldwide, it has made $587 million. It's Sony's biggest domestic, international, and worldwide movie of all time. It set all sorts of records in all sorts of territories like India and stuff like that. Uh, it's, it's the third biggest worldwide ever behind two Avengers movies the avengers infinity war at 640 million and the massive avengers endgame at 1.2 billion a record that will stand until avatar 2 correct yeah so and i have to say people cannot wait for Avatar. well exhibitors yeah. cannot wait for avatar 2 in its that first four days spider-man no way home grossed more in north america in its first four days than any other film in their entire pandemic era in their entire run no Time to Die, uh, Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Ring. Whatever movie you can think of, it grossed more in four days than those movies did in their entire run. This is a monster movie. The way Batman is to DC, unstoppably popular. Spidey is to Marvel, the most popular character in the Marvel-verse. You know, uh, I don't know how many uh, screens uh, No Time to Die is on at this point. That said... Uh, it is playing, up, it, it, it's yeah, playing, it's playing. At, at my local, uh, and you know what? It made a million dollars. It's made over $700 million. And during a pandemic, I think that should be applauded. That's pretty good to, you know, as That's far as That's great. I'm it would have made a billion if it had opened up uh, outside of pandemic. It's doing great. Yeah. But I it's, mean, it's, uh, this is going to pass it up in a minute, in a hot minute. Oh, what? Spider-Man? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Which is amazing. I can't see No Time to Die is almost on no screens left this week, I think. I, I, can't, see any, uh, I can't see how many screens it's on this week. Well, part of the problem that uh, Spider-Man is going to have, and frankly, uh, other films as well that are opening now, Nightmare Alley, I guess you can kind of, maybe not, but uh, certainly The Matrix the uh, the problem is that you have uh, Omicron, as you, we mentioned at the top of the, the program, uh, is closing down movie theaters. Denmark shut its movie theaters. The Republic of Ireland, not Northern Ireland, they shut down their movie theaters. I think in, in Holland, they've said, look, you can have movie theaters open, but not after 7 p.m. So That's right. And so to make up for that, theaters were opening up at 8 in the morning, 10 in the morning to accommodate Spider-Man screenings all day long. They didn't wait until 11 a.m. or 10 a.m. They got in there early in the morning. So they did everything they could to accommodate theatergoers. Uh, no Time to Die is, uh, was on about 700 screens as of Thursday. So that's that was still had a pretty good wide release going. But uh, yeah, no, Spider-Man set all sorts of records and it did it amidst all these shutdowns, all these restrictions, all these things that made it harder. So that that truly is a remarkable accomplishment. Well, I know like uh, we spoke with uh, Mo Bargava uh, on the CJ Cinema Summit. He's uh, with TGV Cinemas in Malaysia, and he was talking about how in Malaysia, they had to open up very slowly. And it was only recently that they allowed children under the age of 12 into theaters. Right, because they weren't vaccinated at all. And they, most of them probably still aren't. Yeah. Right. And, and uh, they still have lots of uh, social distance seating uh, requirements. So they can't even sell out. 
Uh, if you're a movie theater exhibitor or a studio, you say, let's get rid of those trademark patents and get the vaccine out to the entire world. Because until everybody's vaccinated and boosted, uh, we're going to keep dealing with this nonsense. Yeah, true. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I guess speaking of nonsense, uh, what, what do we have here with SNL? They, they sent their, their audience home, right? Well, before we get to the pandemic, we do have one more bit of worldwide box office oh. news. We got some predictions about 2022, and Spidey certainly makes you feel positive. Now, remember, before the pandemic in 2019, we had a $40 billion worldwide. In the disastrous 2020, we still grossed $12 billion. In 2021, we're going to hit $21 billion. Thanks, Spidey. And in 2022, they're thinking another 50% jump will get back to $33 billion worldwide. And that means by 2023 is when we can hope to get back to pre-pandemic levels and hit $40 billion worldwide again. There's also an estimate that be lots of reasons, one of them being China just doesn't want to let other movies in, that the U.S. may pass uh, China box office in 2022 because China just you know, they would have had a big hit if they'd had Spider-Man in China playing this week. They would have packed those theaters. Instead, their biggest movie made $55 million. Spidey might have done $100 million if they'd let it be on enough screens. So they are crippling their own box office for reasons that make sense to them. You know, we don't think it's a great idea long term. But, they, you know, they've got a healthy cinema. I think they can stand up to the worldwide releases and they should be more welcoming because they've got those movie theaters and they want people to go. But they're restricting Hollywood movies more and more to protect their own films. And that's going to hold back their total box office growth. So this Spider-Man success, $587 million worldwide. They did it without Japan, where Spider-Man is huge. That doesn't come until January. And they did it without China which is the number one box office market in the world right now. Spider-Man doesn't even have a release date. And by the time it does come to China, it will be widely available in pirated copies. It's so, probably already widely available in pirated Oh, I'm copies. sure, unsure. Yeah. But you were talking about the pandemic shutting stuff down. It shut down Saturday Night Live. In the theaters in the US and the UK, it would be easier for me to tell you what shows have not been affected by COVID. Hamilton, Tina, Harry Potter, Moulin Rouge, Jagged Little Pill, Mrs. On and on and on. All these shows canceled one or more or five days or 10 day shutdowns all across the board. The Rockettes have canceled, I think, the rest of the season. Correct. Little Shop of Horrors off Broadway in London. Same thing. Just 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 a just a cut in a swath through the entire because you're sitting in that theater. Mind you, you're facing one way. You're looking forward. But when the cast is sick and they're singing and talking and laughing out towards the audience, that's just not a good thing. So, well, I feel like I dodged a bullet because, as you know, Michael, I just came back from New York City where I was seeing Broadway shows. Yeah, you really got lucky. That's great. And of course, when these shows shut down, even if they shut down for two days, say they shut down for two days, if that's Friday and Saturday. You've just put a bullet through the heart of that show for that week's grosses. Forget about it. Some shows are sold out, of course, all week long, like Hamilton. But most shows, even really popular ones, do a lot better Friday, Saturday, and Sunday than they do on Tuesday and Wednesday and even Thursday to a degree. So when you lose those weekend performances, that's a nightmare. I know people headed to New York. They went to see Six, the new musical on Broadway about the wives of Henry VIII. I they saw that last to, week. They were going Sunday at 6 p.m., and I said, you know what? That's a small cast, so you're probably going to get lucky. I think they saw the performance because there's not 20 or 40 people in the cast, which means it's a lot easier to keep them safe and you know 
safe and COVID free because you don't have 40 people backstage all the time. And just your odds are better because you don't have 40 people. If anybody gets it, you've got trouble. Same thing for pro sports, football, soccer. The Premier League is like canceled a swath of games. And there's talks about delaying or, or canceling the season of Premier League. That's when it gets, that's when people, men are going to get angry and say, we got to fix this. <laughs> yeah. Give me, give me my shot. Darn it. <laughs> yeah, if I Jeff get my Carl- shot, if I get my shot, the Rams can play. <laughs> exactly. You want to go to Yankee stadium, get a shot. That's right. Yeah. Uh, Jeff Garland hopefully got his shot, but uh, he is not getting a shot at the Goldbergs. He is out of the show. Social justice, sexual misconduct, not sexual misconduct, just being a jerk in this case. He's been having a, a troubled relationship on the show of the Goldbergs for several years. He's been bad-mouthing this sitcom, which is in its eighth season, I think. Maybe yeah. it's coming back for its ninth. Uh, it's it's the gold mine of his career. The man has never had success like this before or since. And yet, you know, it's beneath him. And he's been mocking and belittling the show for a while. But He's just been tiresome on set, obnoxious and rude to people when he screamed at stand-ins like a week or two ago. That was apparently the last straw, and everybody had just had enough of him, and they all agreed to a pardon of the ways. Like one episode before the end of filming for this season, they're like, just go. Just go away. Uh, this may mean the show doesn't come back for a ninth season because I don't know how they would explain him. He's a sensual character on the Goldbergs. But uh, his big defense was, I've always been a jerk. They let, yeah, you know, that's I've true. Been invest- I've been investigated many times. Like, well, that's not actually a good thing, uh, Jeff. So sounds like a tiresome guy who just can't learn. Yeah, maybe the crap you got away with years ago isn't acceptable anymore. But not willing to not willing to see that. Well, you know, the L.A. film critics were willing to see every movie so that they could come up wow. with their with their list of the best movies and performances and animated films and documentaries and international. Woo. And guess what they picked? Did they pick, you know, West Side Story, House of Gucci or, or, or you know, uh, what, what's uh, why am I forgetting the uh, the power of the dog? That's the, well, the that, film that's an arty film. That's an arty Th- film. True. But no, they went with Drive My Car, the three hour movie mm-hmm. it's a japanese film i uh, saw it in can uh it's a very interesting film uh well worth seeing uh and it's that's on your best, best of the year list right so far yeah well would you take it off probably not right so a lot of critics love this film it is three hours it's based on a short story a story a short story by Haruki murakami we're talking really fast so we can get done for you people uh three hours long it is not it is Hopefully, we'll soon be on the short list for the Oscar Best International Film that is being announced any minute now. It is Japan's entry. Uh, it will probably make that short list. So that is a highly touted movie. It will certainly be a front runner for Best International Film at Oscar time. Uh, will it make it onto the Best Picture list? You know, I felt like this is not going to influence it. You know, you've got either the obvious movies or movies that are so arty. But I don't know. Drive My Car is getting a lot of love, but it's mostly from critics. If we see it get director nominations from the DGA or screenplay nominations, then maybe we'll see that this movie has a shot at Best Picture, though I would highly doubt it. But Jane, Jane the, Campion, on the other hand, is well on her way to a Best Director nomination, uh, at the very least, uh, it, both by the DGA and uh the Academy. An Oscar. Yeah. Yeah. For the power, for the power of, the of the dog. Yeah. Uh, it's because they, you know, LA film critics, they, they picked uh, her as best director. Uh, and Flea, uh, this is a documentary that is done in animation. It's done in animation for a reason. Uh, it's because, you know, it's, it's a story that has already happened 
and which as as many documentaries are, but and, it's and they weren't filming it at the time. Exactly, right. it's impossible to go back and refilm. So, uh, but it's very very good uh, and worth seeing. And Doc, the best documentary is Summer of Soul. And a lot of uh, groups, they are naming Flea the best animated film and the best documentary. In yeah. this case, the LA film critics shared the glory and they uh, they highlighted Summer of Soul, the uh, great documentary about the concerts in the New York City in the early 70s, not late 60s, right? Early 70s. Uh, no, it was, uh, is a big it, it, it was the, the year 1969. It, 69. Took, it took place literally in the shadow of Woodstock. Well, it was over several years, so it was precursor to Woodstock. It was, one, it was one summer over several weeks. However, the, I, the I thought it was a I thought it was a few years. Okay, maybe I'm wrong. All yeah, because right. I haven't seen it yet. Did you like it? Did you love it? I did like it. It's 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 a an, a very interesting look at that time. Hey, and, stop and saying music. interesting. Stop saying interesting. Was okay. it fun? Yes, very fun. Yes, especially <laughs> let's put it this way: to see Stevie Wonder, young and drumming. He's drumming. Oh, he's it's, a great drummer. It, it's unbelievable. Like you just like your mouth is on the floor. And then to, to Nina Simone and all of these great acts uh, in little scene uh, in, in an era where, you know, you, didn't, you weren't necessarily always videotaping everything. It's, it's really interesting. I know. I yes. just you told me not to say that again. Well, well interesting is sort of a, 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 a it's a coded critique of a film. When you say it's interesting, that means it's not actually good, but you found it, you know. Worth watching, sort of, you know. Yeah, no, it's, no, uh, I, I, so, I liked so, it. I thought it was fun. It's entertaining. How about that? There you go. There you go. Um, when did it? When did it I, actually take place? So Woodstock was in August, and I'm trying to see when the actual date. Trust were me, I, I, I saw it took the over film. six. I know it took place over six weeks, but I'm yeah. just trying to see was it in the shadow or did it take place before or after? Um, it was actually before, so it came. It as I said, it began in June, so it, it happened began before Woodstock happened. Woodstock was in August. This ended August twenty fourth. Woodstock was, uh, you know, uh, late August or mid August. So you know, they they overlapped. But Summer of Soul came first, brother. That's what I'm saying. Well, uh, you so know, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know, I also saw Petite Mama. Uh, ah, how Celine was that? Shyama's film. Was it? it was it's it a very sweet movie. See, I didn't say interesting. It, it was interesting. <laughs> uh, no, you know, it's a very sweet movie and uh, very touching movie. I didn't necessarily uh, love it the way everybody else seems to love it, mm -hmm. uh, but you know, it's it's a good movie. Well, we don't have any streaming numbers this week, and I'm annoyed because I don't have you know all those channels on YouTube TV, but. Uh, we do have a little news that Amazon Prime, I'm sorry, I mean Prime Video, the Amazon's streaming service, Prime Video, they signed a deal with Inkblot. Inkblot is one of the biggest movie producers in Nigeria. Nigeria is a great, vibrant territory for cinema in Africa. They, they turn out a lot of stuff. And Amazon Prime, showing how much you want to be happening in every territory around the world, they're recognizing Africa as a growth growth continent for them. They've got a lot of new subscribers they can reach there, and they're making a deal with Inkplot. That just shows you every territory matters. Well, here's the thing. You know, in the U.S., the film industry is called Hollywood, right? Yeah, and in, it's, in, in mm, India, uh -huh. it's called Bollywood, the, the film industry. What's that's it called right. in, in Nigeria? Nigeria, Nollywood. That's right. Yes, that's where I was headed with that. Yes, hey, I'm I'm pretty good. I'm I'm a big deal when it comes to trivia, and it's time for Big Deal or Big Whoop, our weekly segment where we discuss the top headlines in entertainment 
and tell you whether really important or just overhyped nonsense. Has anything happened since we... Yes! Oh my God, there is breaking news. Disney and Google reach a deal for YouTube TV. Huzzah! It's a Christmas miracle. <laughs> Disney and Google reached a deal to restore ESPN, ABC, and other channels to YouTube TV two days after a contract dispute knocked them off the streamer. That's uh, yeah. YouTube TV had said, oh, oh we're going to knock down our service price from like $64 to $49. We're like, yeah, whatever. We want the damn <laughs> ABC and we don't care about saving $5. We want ABC, buddy. So, uh, oh, well, that's great news. So there you go. There is breaking news. But what else is happening this week, Sperling? For those, by the way, who are not in the U.S., ABC is one of the major networks in America. <laughs> you know, well, I mean, you know, if, people may not know. Uh, here's here's I, this BBC of which you speak. Well, BBC people know. Come on. Uh, in any case, uh, I know that, Michael, this is one of your favorite times of the year and certainly one of your favorite events of the year. The Library of Congress just added 25 new works to the National Film Registry. As usual... The Library of Congress combined hugely popular fare like The Return of the Jedi, A Nightmare on Elm Street, Richard Pryor live in concert, and The Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring. What happened to the other two? Aren't they going to like throw those in? Anyway. I don't think they're eligible yet. Oh, okay. Well, they've combined those with offbeat choices like Pink Flamingos, a John Waters Ooh. film, and less known works that fill in our film history, such as 1932's Flower in the Trees a Disney animated short that was the first use of three-strip Technicolor to be seen by the public. And of course, they've also added the 1979 short Chicana, which offers a take on both Mexican and Mexican-American history that for a change actually includes women. Go figure. They're 50% of the population. Why not include them in the history? <laughs> 51. Uh, yeah. <laughs> big deal or big whoop, Michael? A oh, big whoop, of course, but it's always fun. Cooley High, that was a landmark film that, uh, that influenced a lot of filmmakers. Uh, there's cool stuff here. Evergreen, a, co a college short by Ray Manzarek of The Doors. That's kind of cool. The Flying Ace, a 1926 film that features an all-black cast and is quite well-made, as is Hellbound Trail. Uh, a Will Rogers short from 1919. Robert Altman's The Long Goodbye. Uh, a, a documentary about the murder of a Black Panther called The Murder of Fred Hampton from 1971. Uh, Selena, Sounder, Stop Making Sense, one of my favorite films of all time. Wally. The Watermelon Women, Whatever Happened to Baby Jane. It just goes on and on. Lots well, well, of cool well, stuff. It's a great list. If you want to educate yourself or want to have some fun, you go on there, you look at the list, and you say, okay, there's a short. You can watch all of them on YouTube, trust me, legally, properly. So check out the ones that you're not familiar with that are shorter and kind of funky, and you can enjoy them. Well, if Wally -E is available to be in, in the National Film Registry, then all of the Lord of the Rings are because Wally -E came out well after all those films. So, well after. Well, I'm there. You're right. I guess they're just moving at a slow pace. Well, now here's our next story. If you are a musician, you're going to want to listen to this very carefully. Here's our advice to you. Keep your publishing. Okay. Yes. That's rule number one for newcomers to the music industry. You have all your publishing, right, Sperling? You oh, never I, gave away absolutely. those rights. For, for all my yeah. number one hits... I don't know what chart they're number one on. Probably a, a chart of one. Also, I mm -hmm. don't have any records. So Okay. Yeah, but yeah well, you've got all your publishing. That's right. Yeah. Well, however tempting it, it is to sell that off, your publishing, that is. Publishing is the lifeblood of a songwriter's career. Now, rule number two. Well, 
It only applies to the biggest acts. But if you can own your masters, the actual recordings of your albums, see Taylor Swift, by the way, for a lesson in that. Ray Charles accomplished uh, owning his masters in a path-breaking deal decades ago, but few acts have pulled it off since. Now, there's a rule number three, okay? When you, you're getting on in years, here's what you should do. Sell it all, okay? Sell your publishing, <laughs> sell your sell your masters, a ton sell, of legacy. Sell your acts. roadies, sell yeah. your sell your sell your costumes, sell your, your sound NFTs. engineers. Yeah, do it all, do it all. <laughs> oh my goodness! Well, you know, a ton of legacy acts have made headlines with various deals, offloading their creative assets, and Bruce Springsteen is now the latest. He just sold off his masters and his publishing to Sony for six hundred million dollars, or as he likes to say more than Spider-Man made this week. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Wait, wait a week, Bruce. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Uh, he, that's, you know, more than half a billion dollars, okay? That's pretty, that's pretty remarkable. One guy, that's real money. But is this a big deal or a big whoop? Well, it's a big whoop, I think. You know, we've been seeing everybody do this, and I guess the lesson is it's really complicated and difficult to handle all the stuff that goes into publishing. Obviously, people have companies set up. They have people they've hired to do it. But at a certain point, when you're getting on in years, even when it's, you know, could be a full-time job and really is worth doing because there's a lot of money coming in, uh, you know, it's just, it's so complicated. It makes sense to say, yeah, I don't think my grandkids really want to focus on this. I'm going to cash out, get the money and invest or do whatever I want with that and let this be put in the hands of people who devote their entire careers and have the big structure to deal with all the demands of publishing and masters and stuff like that. Now, one of our longtime listeners reached out and said, that seems a little low to me for Springsteen, you know, given that it's the masters and the publishing. And I thought, well, you know what? I, I don't know, actually. I'm not sure how to factor in masters and what difference that makes when you're not selling albums anymore because we're streaming now. So masters perhaps are slightly less valuable than they were in the old days. Though, of course, Bruce is still going to push some vinyl and you can keep repackaging that, but you can only do that so much. And his publishing rights are obviously extremely valuable. I love Bruce, seen him in concert, own every album, big fan, but he's not covered the way, say, Bob Dylan is or Neil Diamond or some other artists. His music is not covered as much. Well, so I, don't, I don't know. I mean, well, I, I do know. I do know they're not. Pink, his songs okay. are not covered. I, There's not a question about it. His I songs are not three. covered. Yes, you can name covers. His songs are not covered and not turned into big hits the way a lot of songs by Bob Dylan and Neil Diamond and many other, Carole King and other acts are. He simply is not covered as much the way other acts are, and those songs don't become big hits. There aren't lots of big covers of Born to Run and Thunder Road and lots of his classic songs. They're extremely valuable. Bands play them. They cover them in, you know, bands and acts all around the country. His music gets played. But I think his biggest source of income for decades now, certainly since Tunnel of Love, has been concerts. That's where most acts make their money. But even Springsteen, a guy who had one of the biggest albums of all time, born in the USA, he's really generating his coin when he tours. And when he stops touring and he's dead in 10 or 20 or 40 years, Will that keep the attention on his music as big as it is now? I'm not so sure. It's not like it's going to disappear off the face of the earth, but I think he maintains visibility and viability and his music gets played in part because he's out there touring, flogging it with one of the best bands around in the, you know, in the history of live rock and roll. That's going to end in 10 years. 
He may go out with an acoustic guitar, but he can't keep doing that. And th that means I think that albums, he hasn't had a big hit in decades. He hasn't had a hit song in decades, uh, certainly on the Hot 100. He no, hasn't but had I would, a hit I, album. He hasn't had a hit album in decades. It's been a long time since he peaked as a commercial act on the radio and on the charts. So I think if I could have invested in Bruce as a live act 10 or 20 years ago, he'd be worth every penny. But this case, I certainly don't think they underpaid for Bruce Springsteen. It's a lot of money. It's a ton of money. He's got more money than God. He always had and more power to him. But that calculation for the future, I'm just looking. Not a lot of singles, not a lot of covers, not a lot of album sales anymore. Uh, so. I, I, I would, uh, wouldn't bet my pink Cadillac on there not being a lot of covers because the night uh, is when you growing that up. Was, that actually wasn't a cover. That was a song he handed to Patti Smith, and oh, that's right. just about it. Nobody else has covered because the night. I think R.E.M. did a B-side of it. Mm -hmm. A pink Cadillac was recorded by Natalie Cole. She had a bigger hit than Bruce. That also was a B-side. Not it Natalie Cole, Aretha Franklin. No, Aretha Franklin did not sing Pink Cadillac. Yes, she did. She sang Freeway of Love. Maybe she covered it, but the hit is, I believe, by Natalie Cole. Look it up. In any case, that also was not a cover as such because he never recorded it for an album. Uh, Pink Cadillac, Bruce Springsteen, Dancing in the Dark. It was the B-side of Dancing in the Dark. The biggest profile interpretation was by Natalie Cole, which became a top 10 hit in 1988. That's okay. Uh. That's Natalie okay, Cole, kid. Aretha Franklin. What's the difference? Thank you for playing. <laughs> yeah. No, he has that. Those are the two biggest outside hits, practically. We had Blinded by the Light by Manfred Mann back in the early 70s. He has had songs that have been covered by others, not within a thousand miles, the same as, say, Bob Dylan and Blowing in the Wind. Not, you know, or a lot of other songs by Dylan or songs by Neil Diamond. They're just not songs. Billy Joel doesn't get covered a lot. Just and by the way, the 10,000 Maniacs did uh, a cover of Because the Night. Yes, it wasn't a hit. It wasn't. Yes, people have sometimes put them on albums and that's valuable, but they're not a big act. It didn't turn it into a hit and thus it did not generate a ton of coin. It went on an album that probably didn't go gold and did not get a lot of, a lot of radio play. The people, uh, uh, there's country acts in the UK that covered his entire album, Nebraska, but it didn't make it a hit. Yeah, I mean, Emmy Lou money. Harris. Emmy Lou Harris did Mansion on the people, Hill, for instance. People have recorded his songs. I love him. I love some of those other versions. They don't become hits, and they're not played on the radio, and they don't generate money. And if you're spending six hundred million dollars to get his publishing, what you want is for either his songs to continue to be played a lot, which I think may fade once he's not touring, and B, and also when he puts out a new album, it brings new attention. That's going to stop at some point. And B, you want other acts to cover them and generate attention, airplay, sales. That doesn't happen a lot for Bruce. It's okay. He's very successful on his own. I'm always really surprised when uh, somebody covers I'm on fire. I'm always like, really? Okay. Song about pedophilia, kind of. Uh, but in any case. Little girl does not mean he's targeting a 12-year-old. Uh, I know it's it's not intended to be about a, somebody stalking a twelve year old. Uh, the words in there are "little girl" and hey, "your daddy home," but it's really talking one assumes to a woman since he's never written a song about a little girl ever in his life. So you know, it's not a song about pedophilia. Okay, well, it, it could be it could be read that way, but you know, yeah. In any case, creepy. 
That Moving along to, to our next, uh, speaking of creepy, uh, the cycling company Peloton. You you know them, Michael, because of course you're you're on your your Peloton every every day, oh, uh, God. taking those classes. Uh, well, it has had a terrible, no good, very bad week or two. First, the series premiere of the Sex and the City update, uh, and uh, what is the name of that thing? And then, uh, what what is the name of that? Uh, and and then it happened, and, or and then yeah, something like that. Uh, well, they had Mr. Big, big character in Sex and the City. He died, and and this is a spoiler alert. He died on a Peloton cycle, having a heart attack while using the Peloton machine. Oops. <laughs> I mean, the co- the company knew that their their device, the Peloton, was being used in the episode. They just did not know how it was being used. But you know, taking lemons and making lemonade, they turned around an ad in record time, forty eight hours showing actor Chris Noth, who plays Mr. Big, very much alive, happy, drinking wine and getting on his Peloton so he can stay healthy and alive for years to come. And that was a very smart move. And then Noth faced accusations from two separate women of sexual assault, and down came the ad. So it was a, well, here's the thing. Well, why don't you tell me whether it's a big deal or a big whoop, and then I've got got something to, to throw in there. Well, maybe Chris Knopf hit on you. It's a uh, it's a big deal because it shows how nimble you have to be. The company was smart. They moved quickly. You can get something on the air. They even got attention for being on the air so quickly, which just helped, you know, roll with the punches. You've got to be ready to react to stuff. You know, it's not going to happen every day that you have to react to breaking stories when you're a Peloton, but it happens. And they reacted quickly, first by doing the ad and secondly, by taking it down. So it was all well done and smart. Uh, and now since those two women came forward with separate allegations of rape, uh, sexual assault uh, of more than a decade apart, we have a th- and they did not know each other. We have a third person actor, Zoe Lister-Jones of Law and Order, who says Noth was extremely sexually inappropriate with her on set. She saw him doing the same with a female promoter at his club, claims he would get drunk while filming Law and Order. He's been dumped by his artist agency, A3 Artist Agency. He just signed with them a few months ago. So... Uh, not a good time for Chris Knopf, but I'm assuming it's one of those cases where people around him knew about this stuff for years, and now the chickens are coming home to roost. Well, I, I wanted to talk more about the how they made this uh, commercial in 48 hours, and it's kind of interesting. The story is that, and you'll never believe who do you th- whose production company do you think made this commercial? You'll never guess. It's Ryan Reynolds. Oh, yeah. Okay. So somebody actually gets a couple of newsletters. Uh, yeah, because that's how I found out. Uh, so Ryan Reynolds, a couple of years ago, he, uh, I guess Peloton had a commercial that they got a lot of backlash for because basically it was all about this, this guy giving a woman. Uh, yeah, 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 his, yeah. His yeah. Wife, we all know about that. We talked about it. Yeah, it was yeah, yeah. a Peloton. And then, of course, you know, uh, Ryan Reynolds production company made a commercial that what featured the same woman, the same, ca- they cast the same actress and she was just like getting a divorce and she was out with her girlfriends drinking and drinking <laughs> Ryan Reynolds. So, so it, it prompted every company to say, let's make sure we put something in our contracts that says you can't make an ad within three months mocking the ad you've just made. So that just added to changing, tweaking of contracts all over the world. So they, but they turned Peloton smartly turned to Ryan Reynolds and said, we need a commercial in 48 hours. That's the commercial they made. It was a big hit until the whole Chris Noth thing blew up in their face. Yes, that's funny that they that they were willing to work with him. So that's cool. But, you know, knowing all that stuff is very inside baseball that Ryan Reynolds has this company. He's got alcohol. But we have no inside baseball story this week. We're just happy that Google 
and Disney have come to terms. And there's a new carriage deal for YouTube TV. My mother is happy. She can watch The View. <laughs> she can watch GMA3, even though it's reruns all this week. Well, you know who won't be watching that are the those in our obituary section. Who's our first uh, up this week, Michael? Well, a couple of musicians died at the last minute that we just heard about, unfortunately. Uh, rapper Drakeo, the ruler, died in a violent incident after a multi-artist concert. That's very sad. He just had a single that he did with Drake. Uh, Drake tweeted out his sympathies to uh, Drakeo's family. And Leonard Hubbard, a.k.a. Hub, who was a bassist for The Roots for all their key albums for many, many years. He unfortunately has died as well. So that's very sad. But the writer I wanted to celebrate, the person I wanted to celebrate is writer Eve Babbitts. She died at the age of 78. She's a wry and insightful chronicler of Los Angeles, a cool woman. She lived long enough to see her works of fiction and memoir be acclaimed and rediscovered over the years until really it finally entered the canon, I would say, in the twilight of her life. Her books, including Slow Days, Fast Company, which I highly recommend, and Eve's Hollywood are now considered classics. Fun actually, clear. actually, it's Hollywood's Eve. Oh, wait, no, it's Eve. Eve. I you. It's Eve's mm -hmm. Hollywood. Yeah, okay. So, sorry. Thank you. Her, her biography, 20, Holly, Hollywood's Eve, is named Hollywood's Eve. It's, yeah. yeah, it's not her biography, a biography about her by yeah. another writer who helped bring her back to attention. So good for that woman. At 20, she posed nude for a famous photo of her and Marcel Duchamp playing chess. As an artist, she created cover album art for Atlantic Records, doing cover album art for artists like Linda Ronstadt, The Birds, and most memorably, a classic cover for Buffalo Springfield and their album, Buffalo Springfield Again. As a writer, she contributed to Rolling Stone, introduced to them by Joan Didion, this woman knows how to make friends. She also wrote for Vogue, Cosmo, and Esquire. And as Variety wrote, Eve Babbitts was no wallflower. It says, an unparalleled cultural connector, she introduced Frank Zappa to Salvador Dali, convinced Steve Martin, who she dated, to wear a white suit, and tried to talk Jim Morrison out of naming his band The Doors. It's a terrible idea, she said. <laughs> she wrote to Catch-22 author Joseph Heller, saying, quote, I am a stacked 18-year-old blonde on Sunset Boulevard. I am also a writer. <laughs> she knew how to get attention. <laughs> yeah, just, just, just to get, and a lot of people are like, wow, she came out of nowhere. Yeah, her godfather was Igor Stravinsky. So let's, uh, you know. She made it on her own, baby. What do you mean? Yeah, came no, no, out but, of nowhere? But, but here's the thing this is a 2019 article about her. This is the first paragraph. Okay. I have to read it. It's from The Hollywood Reporter, for, and it starts off. For decades, Eve Babbitts was one of Hollywood's best-kept literary secrets, a one-time it girl who had affairs with Harrison Ford, Paul and Ed Ruscha, and Jim Morrison, partied with Mick Jagger, Jack Nicholson, and Sharon Tate, and then, as you say, designed album covers and, you know, I thought, like, how, that's a, that's one heck of a way to start an article. See, I, see, I, I ignored the, her dating life and focused on the work that she did, the novels and memoirs that she wrote, the artwork she did that was good enough to be used by by major record labels, the work that she did for major publications like Rolling Stone, yeah, the fact that work. Joan Didion introduced her to her, rather than focusing on her sex life. So I decided, let's celebrate the woman and her talent, which got her where she is, not the spurious fact that she dated some famous people as if that's how she got her way in Hollywood. So that's why I ignored that and led with all the other stuff. Well, well speaking Just, of talented women... I yes. found I found uh, a very interesting. Uh, now you probably don't know who Rosalie Trombley is. Okay, never heard of her. Never heard of her. However, if you that means you were not in the radio industry in the 
60s through the early 80s, okay? Because I she, was not. She, or the music industry, frankly, because she made people's careers. This is how the New York Times obituary starts. And all I can say is this is a great great way to start. An, it starts off, whatever story you have about the high point of your junior high, high school years, Tim Trombley has a better one. The rocker Alice Cooper once picked him up at his school in his limousine to take him to lunch. That was one of the perks of having Rosalie Trombley for a mother. Now, Rosalie Trombley was a single mother of three. She was the musical director of CKLW AM, which was a radio station in Windsor, Ontario, Canada. Its signal was so strong that it could be heard in Detroit and several other cities and states throughout the Midwest. Dozens of states, it says. Dozens. Wow. And it was one of the big hit makers for musicians before the emergence of FM. And she she was so good at picking hits that the DJs would just rely on her. The DJs well, that's her the, job. That's yeah. her job. Yeah. Well, well, but it became her job. Like she started off as as the uh, as, well, I'm as saying when you're music director. I'm saying that's you know yes yeah. yes. Uh, she started off as, as not the receptionist, but the 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 person who, who like patched calls through. I, I, the the name of the telephone operator basically. Uh, and then she was made the music librarian uh, typist, and then she moved up from there. Uh, and cool. Keith Keith Radford, a, a, who was a newsman at that station, would say, "You'd come in in the morning, and you know, you there'd be big bouquets of flowers at the front desk from Elton John or the Rolling Stones." <laughs> Everyone wanted to court her. This was a great story. The obit is in the New York Times. You found it, and I, I enjoyed reading it. Uh, basically. She had great taste. She championed Neil Diamond. She championed Alice Cooper. She championed uh, a lot Seger. of different artists and acts. Bob Seger, uh, all sorts of temptations. Uh, she really pushed them and 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 did help them break big. And she, you know, they wanted to hand her cash. They're like said, mm, you know, a little money could be available to you. And she's like, look, don't ever say that again. That's not going to get you in the door here. And so, nope, they'd send flowers, but they knew not to try and do a little payola with Rosalie Trombley. So a cool trailblazer just like Eve Babbitson, well worth reading about. Yeah, and there's a little documentary uh, that's linked to from that New York Times article that is, it's seven minutes long, and I'll tell you all about her. It's fantastic. Cool. Uh, but uh, in, in any case, uh, that's, that's, our, that's it for this year, in fact. Oh, my God, what a magical year it's been, Sperling. All the money, all the glory, all the joys. What will we do with it all? How will we top ourselves in 2022? Uh, probably won't be that hard, in fact. But you know what? <laughs> You're going to want to find out whether we do or not. So subscribe to us on iTunes, the Google Podcast Store, Microsoft Marketplace, Stitcher, Spotify, anywhere. They give podcasts away for free. You can usually find us. And please, as as some people do, rate and review us in any one of those podcast aggregators that allows you to do so. It does help us out when you do. That information, as well as links to all of the stories we've discussed on today's episode, can be found on our website, showbizsandbox.com. That is also where you'll find ways to contact us. Dirt at showbizsandbox.com is our email address. That's D-I-R-T at showbizsandbox.com. You can also call and leave us a voicemail. The number to call is 888-567-SAND. That's 888-567-7263. We're on Twitter at showbizsandbox is our handle, and we're on Facebook facebook.com slash showbiz sandbox. All of that information is on our website, showbizsandbox.com. The music that you hear at the beginning and end of each show is by the popular indie rock group, MGMT. They can be found on their own website. Who is MGMT.com? Michael Gilt has a website and every week it's something new and exciting. What is it this week, Michael? 
Uh, this week it's pinkcadillac.com, which you can buy for a minuscule $19,000. <laughs> oh, that's actually a pretty, that's pretty cheap in my opinion. Uh, no, it's not. <laughs> but by the way, there's a big difference between Natalie Cole and Aretha Franklin. Thank you very much, says Miss Natalie Cole. I'm sure her website is taken, but you can find me at michaelgiltz.com. And please do, because I've refreshed everything. It'd been a while. I went in with my friend Jesse's help. I uh, spruced up all the portfolios, updated all the articles, updated all my lists. There's a couple new categories. So if you haven't been there ever or haven't been in a while, check out michaelgiltz.com. You can click on movies and theater and books and find uh, you know, the latest articles under those categories or everything I've written for Huffington Post and Entertainment Weekly and Book and Film Globe and Parade Magazine. And towards the bottom, you can find stuff like My Favorite Things, where you'll find lists of all my favorite books and music and theater and TV and stuff like that. So check it out. Well, well, after you do that, why not check out some of my work, which can be found on celluloidjunkie.com. Until next year, play nice. Now, what do you want for Christmas, Sperling? My two front teeth.